Hello and welcome to the Varmints Podcast and our special series of National Podcast Posting Month shows of Frog a Day. We're not animal experts, but every episode we're going to do our best to educate ourselves and you, the listener, about all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. Varmint's podcast is on all the social things, and you can find a list of them all on Linktree. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Varmint's podcast. Or use your very favorite search engine and you'll find us. Coming up, the second in a four-part series of interviews with Henry Adams, MS, Wildlife Management Coordinator of the Urban Wildlife Institute, Lincoln Park Zoo. That's in Chicago, and I want you to enjoy the show. Have a good one. Our next question is from Bonnie Chomo, and she wants to know what frog is the largest and what one is the smallest? That's a fun question. Right. Oh, yeah. Classic, classic, classic. I love this. So the largest frog is the Goliath frog, sometimes called the Goliath bullfrog. Kurt will be talking about that one. Yeah. Oh, cool. Sweet. Uh, It's native to uh, Cameroon and Equatorial Guinea in central western Africa. And this big old honker of a frog can be upwards of uh, 12 inches long and 7 pounds. So it's it's a pretty, it's a pretty sizable uh, critter. That's too big. I don't accept (laughs) that's too big. Not allowed. (laughs) Do you want it to be called something other than a frog at that size? Should it be like a, a frog Kong? Kong frog or something. <laughs> it's an amphibious corgi at that point, I would say. <laughs> a, a frog hemoth. A frog hemoth. A frog hemoth, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a leviathan at, that, at some juncture there. Oh, too funny. Leviathrog? I mean, it's like, I've seen... Leviathrog! Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I know, I've, seen, I've seen photographs of folks holding these, these behemoths and man, oh man, it's uh, it's trippy. And like, you know, I've been around some, like the cane toads in Costa Rica, they're pretty big. There are these uh, other frogs called smoky jungle frogs in Costa Rica that nest in riverbanks. And they're pretty, they're pretty sizable too. But my, I mean, like, like I was saying, I think cane toads probably like half of the size of a Goliath frog. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Megan. Like, you know, I, I find that a six, a six inch long toad is like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good after that. Like, you know, I don't need it to be larger than that. (laughs) It's like, no, no, stop. (laughs) Right. I was good. No, no, no. Oh, oh God. Oh, oh, so much frog. Wow. Uh (laughs) And what's the littlest one? And then the littlest one. I'm not sure if this species has a common name, but the scientific name is Pedophryne amoensis. And I believe it was described as recently as roughly 2012. So, you know, like a, just about a decade or so ago. And it was described uh, after being, you know, quote unquote, discovered by, you know, Western science mm-hmm. in Papua New Guinea. And this little, you know, like if the Goliath frog is like too much frog, like dare I say, just mostly because I am so like, I'm a very large person. I'm six foot three. And like when I am handling critters, 
I get really, really nervous when I handle small critters. And so I like, I work a lot with birds in addition to herpetofauna. And like, I've had to misnet hummingbirds and oh my God, they're so itty bitty and my sausage fingers, it just it makes me very nervous. So I dare I say, this is too little frog for me at least. <laughs> this little, this little booger is, it's smaller than a dime. It fits on the head of a dime. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> and a dime is about 18 millimeters long. Um, so 1.8 centimeters. And this this little frog is maybe half of that length. So oh it is gosh. a it is a petite a petite little creature. <laughs> that is too small. How would you even know you lost it? <laughs> yes, exactly. How did they even find it? <laughs> so the beautiful thing about so it's like I don't know if we I don't think we had too many questions about the vocalization of anurans, but I mean one of the beautiful things about anurans is that they were you know, they were holding the torch for the very first vertebrates to vocalize on land. Um, so using, you know, basically vocal cords and air passing through a vocal organ to wow. produce sound. That's cool. Versus like, you know, the vibration of insects. And so they've been carrying that torch for, let's see, anurans evolved roughly... Uh, I think that anurans evolved roughly 290 million years ago. And so that's how these researchers were able to identify, uh, well, find this frog for one thing and then go through the, you know, morphological process of, of describing this as a new as a new species. Wow, that is really cool. Maybe we'll talk about that guy on our uh, yeah. one of the episodes during the month. Is yeah. this is this frog um, smaller than the one that is kept as a pet by the spider? Oh my goodness! Microhylid. The microhylid. I'm going to talk about oh, the microhylids, yeah. and I'm going to talk about that one in particular. I've got the script all written up. I'm so excited, and I have a question for you about microhylids, oh, really but I'll wait until after after the, the environment um, questions are done. <laughs> Yeah, Curtis, I, um, I, I, the, the short answer is I don't know, but my goodness, what a cool, what a really, really cool symbiotic relationship between the spiders and the microhylids. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to delve, delve deeper into that. Okay, next question. Megan, do you want to read Brisky's question for us? I mean, she, she got, she got a couple. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, how, how far can frogs hop? Yeah. Do frogs hop or jump? Which is, is one uh-huh. technically correct over the other, which I like that. That's interesting. Uh, are there any poisonous frogs that aren't super brightly colored? Yeah, I also love these questions. Oh, I love all these questions. They're great. So I'll start with the top. So there, for the frogs, for the neurons in the world that have evolved, you know, the, the, the physiology and the morphology for using jumping as a main means of uh, of movement and especially predator evasion because not all anurans necessarily jump or hop either is good it's uh, I feel like you know it depends on I feel like it depends on the the emotion you're trying to evoke because obviously to me hop is easily five times cuter than jump so you know um, I love hop because frogs are, are adorable but for the frogs that can hop or, or jump, that are specialized to do so, that have really, really powerful hind legs and really, really robust, you know, muscular systems that allow them to jump distances, they can jump anywhere between 30 and 50 times their body length. 
Wow. So it varies species to species. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So, of course, varies species to species. And so there, there, there are the ranids, the the family ranidae, which is described as the the quote unquote true frogs, as I like to say. When someone says the word frog, you probably your your mental image is probably, or the mental image of most people is probably going to be a ranid. It's like a bullfrog, you know, a green frog, any kind of kind of typical, mostly aquatic frog with really large back legs and you know webbed feet, sitting on a lily pad kind of thing. So those are the ranids, the true frogs, and like for instance, those frogs have really, really well developed hind legs that are great for jumping, for kind of doing the breaststroke kick as they as they swim through swim through the water. Of course, hylids,、um, the tree frogs, also have excellent jumping abilities. Some of them have very, very specialized, you know, feet and webbing to allow for jumping and gliding, which is really fantastic. But then, for instance, you think of toads. Toads are going to be relying a lot more on camouflage, and of course, they still hop a little bit. I guess, I, I guess, maybe now that I'm thinking it through and speaking it through, I kind of hop and jump. I kind of use interchangeably as like how far are they going. So it's like you know, I feel like toads they hop, but then like ranids they jump because they're like actually like really going somewhere, right? <laughs>、um, <laughs> it's completely arbitrary and very personal.、Um, so. So to this,、uh, so for、um, for brisky, do not, don't you know, no no sweat. I think that either is good. But I, now that I'm speaking it through, I think that I feel hop is like a very cute little like, boop, and then like a jump is like, what? You know, like I'm going somewhere. Yeah, I got somewhere to be. Okay. <laughs> I have somewhere to not be. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, I've got to not be in your in this predator's mouth right now. I got to vamoose my caboose. Thank you so much.、Um, I was going to say, with some of those long jumping frogs, you should fit them with tiny wingsuits. And then I remembered some、yes. of them do can actually spread out their fingers and fly or glide. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there there are some、uh, leaf frogs, like some gliding. I forget the the, the common name. It's like a gliding tree frog or gliding leaf frog or something of the sort. But yes, exactly, Curtis. They have just like such so much webbing in between their toes that they just will jump, spread their fingers, and then just woof, glide on through the canopy, which is just so rad, so so cool. Show host takes notes about gliding frog assigned to co-host. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then the、uh, and then this third question here: Are there any poisonous frogs that aren't super brightly colored? Absolutely, like we were kind of talking about earlier. All amphibians produce its、uh, like to some degree some sort of noxious substance. When you look at a really really close up image of an amphibian's skin, what's called the fancy word for that is a histological slide. Histology is basically just the study of tissue on the microscopic level. So when you look at Tissue. When you look at the, a, a histological slide of an amphibian skin, you will see all the different, you know, components and glands and stuff like that. And you'll see these poison glands for even amphibians that we don't really regard as toxic. You know, they don't belong to like they're not like a really toxic cane toad or they're not like a poison dart frog necessarily. So they're just not really particularly harmful to us. But maybe for a smaller animal that's trying to eat it, it tastes really, really bad or something of the sort. So there, you know, taking that into consideration, there are tons of different, of course, tons of different more quote unquote drably or more camouflaged, drably colored or camouflaged 
frogs that are still toxic. But, um, you know, in thinking back to toads, I mean, most toads, their primary form of defense is going to be camouflage. You know, they have that, you know, beautiful earth tone skin uh, that's very, very bumpy and can kind of mimic the texture of their environment. So they're relying on camouflage as their primary means of defense. But then should they be disturbed, they have those really large, those exaggerated paratoid glands that secrete pretty powerful toxins. Um, and so that's a really good example. There are even some, you know, if you go through like the whole Rolodex of poison dart frog species in the world, there are going to be some poison dart frog species that are, you know, a little bit more reliant on camouflage. They're a little bit, you know, a little bit subtler in their coloration than, you know, the ones that we see, obviously, you know, when people like when people talk about poison dart frogs, they're probably going to want to talk about the really brightly colored ones because those are just you know they're gorgeous. There are a number of even the uh, the dendrobatids. So they uh, the poison dart frogs belong to the family dendrobatidae. You know some folks call them the dendrobatids. There are some of them that are you know m- have more browns and greens and and those more like earth tone natural colorations rather than the bright reds and blues and yellows. So I have a question and I'm just curious and it might be a dumb question but I'm going to ask it anyway. So. Considering that birds can see UV patterns, is it possible that Mm. some of these poisonous frogs that are preyed on by birds or that might be preyed on by birds actually have psychedelic poison patterns that only the bird can see? Oh, that is such a great question. Um, My my short answer is I don't know. I feel that that has to be to a certain degree because we've just been you know uh, wildlife ecology has been seeing that so many animals like especially donna like you were saying especially birds communicate so much more in uv than we ever thought you know possible originally um you know large and, and understandably largely because we of course can't see in uv <laughs> i know right we, I, i'm so jealous of Jealous of mantis shrimp that can see like eighteen colors that we can't even conceptualize or something like. That's that's I'm rock just like, and roll. Wow, rock that and roll is, mantis. That, that is that is absolutely like that is the uh, a mantis shrimp is like the epitome of Woodstock. You know, it it's really like is. I don't know, man. Um, well, it sounds like a research question that I should look into at some point then. Yay. Absolutely. I can I can I can I can allude to some things in that I know that some reptiles, um, a number of reptile species do communicate with each other at least using ultraviolet communication. So there are anole lizards on oh in in like the Caribbean islands that to our eyes look darn near identical but then it's only until you it's only until they open up their dewlap which is their their flap of skin on the underside of their chin that they use to communicate with one another to establish territory to attract a mate etc it was only until they looked at the coloration of the dewlap which to our eyes totally identical across these two different species but then they viewed that that dewlap under ultraviolet light and they looked completely different and so you know these two species were communicating with each other using ultraviolet coloration and like they you would see that like you know one had ultraviolet color and one didn't and the ones that don't have ultraviolet color don't mate with the ones that do have ultraviolet color it's just it's absolutely fascinating so that's crazy you know there and and then of course you know plants communicate with with their insect their various insect pollinators using uv coloration i mean it's just it's just incredible wow so yeah i donna i feel like you've got to totally be honest something i hope someone's figured something out about that i thought it was a really dumb question so i'm glad it wasn't (laughs) 
Oh gosh, no. We love we love all questions, and and but I mean, oof, yeah, that's such a cool one. <laughs> My brain is bombolating. Come back later in the month for parts three and four. This show was produced by Donna Hume on land belonging historically to the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho Native American tribes, with intro music by Infomercial USA and bed music by Dan Leibowitz. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. If you enjoyed the show, why not give a couple of bucks to buymeacoffee.com slash varmintspodcast. 90% of proceeds go to the Wild Animal Sanctuary in Kingsburg, Colorado. Thanks for listening, everybody, and be nice to animals. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at podfix on Twitter, underscore podfix on Instagram, at podfixnetwork on Facebook, and make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network. Artist owned and loved.